If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel 17. Now, I have a Snickers bar here on the end of the pulpit, so don't nobody come getting any ideas. It's part of the sermon, I promise you. Part of the sermon. First Samuel 17 says this, the first several verses read like this. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Succah in Judah, then pitched a camp at Ephes Damim between Succah and Ezekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came from the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. And his shield bearer went ahead of him. Let me stop right there. We'll probably cover the entire chapter. But I just want to stop right there for the beginning. You see, I am convinced that we are in a major, major battle. And see, the stark reality is that today's American Christian church is probably facing the largest giant it has ever encountered. This giant makes, uh, our giant makes David's giant in 1 Samuel look incredibly insignificant compared to its enormous nature and ability. What is this giant, you ask? It is the giant of a godless culture. Sadly, we currently live in a time and day when the culture looks at the modern church and it not, not only disagrees with it, but it also persecutes it on a, lever, uh, on a level that's probably never seen before in this country. Furthermore, the giant, the, 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 this giant culture is seething and ready to eradicate any sign of a church that believes and stands for holiness. However, I'm here to announce to you today that while our culture seems to be uh, an undefeatable adversary, I believe if we trust our God and stand on His Word, we'll defeat the seemingly undefeatable. You know, a few years ago I, when I was pastoring, the last church that I've pastored about six years ago, uh, I was preaching one Sunday morning, and my passage scripture reference was Romans, the first chapter. And if you know anything about Romans, the first chapter, you'll know that there's a section of uh, just a few verses there uh, in Romans 1 that deals with the whole issue of homosexuality. And while that particular day I wasn't even preaching on that, whenever, while I was reading my passage, I just kind of went through that section and I paused and I said, this doesn't have anything to do with the sermon today, but I got a few words I want to say about it. And of course, that always gets you in trouble, doesn't it, Pastor? 
You know, when you start interjecting, interjecting your things, and of course it wasn't anything that you probably wouldn't hear in any other Wesleyan church. Basically what I said was, this is what God's Word says about this. You may not like it, don't care if you like it, but this is what it says. You have to take it for what it's worth. And then I went on and preached on what I was going to preach on. Well, after the service, there's always somebody. There's always somebody. Uh, there's a young man who was going to our church at that time. He was a teenager. He just happened to bring his dad along. His dad didn't, wasn't a Christian, didn't live a Christian life, but he decided he'd bring his dad, and his dad sat on about the second row. When I said that, I could just kind of even tell in his face. He was just, hmm. After the service was over, he said, you know, I've got to talk to you. I want to ask you about something. And I'm thinking... You know, hey, this guy, the message hit him. He wants to talk to me about, you know, God and, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, I'm thinking, I'm, I guess my head was getting bigger than it should have been. And he just said, you know, I want to talk about God. You know, I, 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 that's what I was thinking. Well, he said, he pulled me to the side and he said, I just don't think you have the right to tell anybody who they can love or not love. And I don't think that you have the right to tell anybody if they want to be homosexual, they can be homosexual. If they want to live with a, uh, be straight, they can be straight. You can do all, anything you want to. You don't have the right to say that. And I'll just kind of, you know, he's got his finger stuck out there and, and, uh, and everything. And so I'm going to knock something over here in a minute. And so he's sticking his finger out at me. And then finally, his wife walks up. And I'm just standing there like this. And finally, I just said, I said, dude, let me tell you. Your problem today is not with me. Your problem today is with the Word of God. And his wife, now here's the thing, here's the thing. His wife walks up and goes, that's right. She looks at her husband, that's right. Your problem, honey, is you don't know the Word of God. And I'm thinking, man, that's all I need. I need her on my side. And so he walked away that day a little bit frustrated. But you know what it said to me? This is what I learned that day. Is that we're now dealing with a culture that one day it used to be even sinners would say, you know what, that's not right behavior. That's not the right thing to do. You shouldn't live that way. You shouldn't act that way. That's not some, uh, a lifestyle that you should live in. Now, even in the church... We have people who say, well, hey, Pastor, that's back in those days. You know, the scripture, maybe it was for then, but it's not really for now, and it's not really part of who we are as a culture. We've kind of advanced beyond that. And I just want to proclaim to you today that this culture says that kind of stuff, and the culture that we live in today, they have that idea, but that idea is not consistent with what the Word of God tells us. And now this sermon is not just specifically about that. What it really is more about is that we're now living in a time where we used to say right is right and wrong is wrong and now it's all intermingled. And even in the church, the godless culture that we have now just permeates the church. I'll tell you one other little illustration and then I'll move on into the sermon. One night I'm watching a religious channel and it's, it's of a I, I don't know it's, it's, a, it's a very liturgical type church real uh, stained glassy type of church and a lady minister walks up and she begins to speak and everything and that night she admits to the congregation that she was a lesbian and I'm just kind of here man I'm just stunned I'm watching this on TV 
And finally, the congregation at the very end stood up and just applauded. And I thought, man, where are we going? And it's not even just, again, just take that issue totally out of it for a minute. It's not even just about that. It's just about the whole idea that the world has now permeated the church and what we used to think was, uh, was sin out there has now become sin in here. David was fighting the biggest battle that the Israelites had had in a while. And this, and this Goliath, according to the Bible, says that he was over nine feet tall. As a matter of fact, if you go into the King James Version or the New King James Version, it tells us that he was three cubits in a span. That's, according to best estimates, that's like nine foot nine. I ain't seen nobody nine foot nine before. But here's this guy, he's nine foot nine. Also, it says his armor, if you translate it into today's pounds, was 150 pounds. His armor was 150 pounds. His spearhead was 20 pounds. Can you imagine how big this guy was? And he would come out, the Bible says he came out for 40 days, and he would, he would just challenge Israel. And the, and the idea was, all right, you bring your best out here. If I, kill, if I kill your best, we get to conquer you. If you, kill, if you kill me, then you get to conquer us, and that's just how we'll settle this thing. Nobody would come out and, and, and face the giant. Nobody would. They just all just kind of stepped back and just kind of did their thing. They was all looking for somebody else to do something. And finally, as the story goes, David's father, Jesse, tells him, you know, I want you to go to the battle line. And I want you to tell, I want you to bring some bread and different things to your brothers. He had three brothers that was in the, in the army. And he said, I want you to bring some cheeses to the, to the officers that are there. And so when he gets there, he sees this giant, and he's just some ruddy, ruddy little guy. The Bible says he was handsome. But here he gets out here, and he's, here's this giant. This giant's just challenging. And, and David's like, man, is nobody going to do anything? I mean, here we are. I mean, as a matter of fact, it, the Bible tells us that the king said that if, if, if somebody goes out and kills this, Saul tells, tells me, he said, if, if somebody just goes out and kills this guy, I will give, his, give him wealth, the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage. And he will make, his, uh, make him exempt from his father's, his father's family, exempt from all taxes. I mean, come on, that's a pretty good deal. But no one was volunteering. You know, they were just all just going, well, somebody else go out there. Evidently, his daughter wasn't that pretty. Because nobody was going. You know, everybody's just kind of standing around. Hey, yeah, we're just going to let somebody else do this for a while. And isn't that kind of the way it is in church these days? we got this major issue, whatever it might be. Our culture says this, let's do this, but we just want somebody else to do it. And we all complain about it. Yeah, we do, we all, we're all good at that, aren't we? Just Yeah, I think somebody else, pastor needs to do that. And so here's, here's David. Just a young guy who shows up at the battlefield, not even really in the army. And he decides, you know what? Enough is enough. Have you ever been there before? 
where enough is enough. I think the problem with the modern-day church is, is that we've not gotten to the point where enough is enough. You know, when I read this passage of Scripture, one of the things that really kind of struck my mind was if, if David, based upon this experience right here, if David was in our modern time, based upon this story right here and what happened in his life, how would that translate to church? How, what would he say to the modern day church based upon his experience right here? And I just want to give you a few thoughts. I think there would be four things that he would ask us. And the first thing is this. The first thing I think that he would ask the modern day church is, will you play it safe? Will you play it safe? It would have been very easy for, for David to have said, you know what, this is really not even my battle. I'm, I'm just, you know, a little shepherd boy. I'm just, I'm not even in, really in the, uh, the uh, Israel's army. I'm not, that's not even me. I, he could have went there that day and just said, this is someone else's battle. And the great thing today that I see is that there are moments in life when we're focused with us, when we're faced with a sobering choice. Do we act or do we live within the comfort of our current circumstances? This is where David found himself. He could have played it safe and not challenge the giant like everyone else who was there that day. But he was moved to action. He mustered up unbelievable courage and defended God's name as well as the people of God. While you may think that this message is not for you, unfortunately, it's more about you than you could ever know. You see, regardless of your age, economic status, or education level, you too are confronted with this question. Will you play it safe or let our culture destroy the church of Jesus Christ while, while waiting for someone else to challenge the giant? Will we step back and will we decide one day that it's time to act and to move forward for the kingdom of God? Will we be comfortable? And if there's nothing more than, than I can say about the, uh, the current American life is that we're pretty comfortable people, aren't we? Back many years ago, I felt a real calling on my life to go down to the Gulf Coast and plant a church. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't do it. It's, I'm, I'm originally from the Gulf Coast. It was something that was planted in my heart a long, long time ago. My wife will tell you that. And I just didn't do it. You know why I didn't do it? I was real comfortable. I was living pretty good. Now, I had a pretty decent job. God, I still got a pretty decent job. Everything's going pretty good. But about a year or two ago, God really began to deal with me. This is something I put in your heart a long time ago. Are you going to do what I ask you to do? Now, here, I'm 46 years old. You know, as church planting goes, 46 years old is really just kind of on the upper end in church planting. It's kind of interesting, though, because I had a phone call from Dan Barry, who's the, uh, uh, the district superintendent and, and of, uh, of the South Coastal District. And, and, of course, during all this time, Pastor Wiggins has been like a, a, big, a mentor to me. He would call me up during this time, and he would say, Neil, I want to go out and eat with you. And we'd go out and eat. And we'd go to the country cupboard right there in Wahala. And he would always get chicken. And Anyway, I don't know why I know all that. But anyway, so I, I mean, we would just talk about that and we would just kind of dream about that kind of thing. 
And so a few months ago, uh, I put a, a sign out in my yard. I said, you know, if this is really what we're supposed to be doing, I'm going to put a sign out in my yard for sale. And what's the worst could happen? God, if this is you, if it's really you, if you want me to step out in faith, God, you're going to have to do something here. I put a sign out in my yard, and, and lo and behold, we have some people walk up in our yard one night, and I happen to know the guy. He actually went to, the, to my church that I pastored in Salem years and years ago. And so he walks up, and him and his wife, and they said, well, what, what, do you, what do you want for it? We just kind of get to talking about it and everything. And he said, well, will you take this? And we just kind of talk. And finally, when they left, we had agreed on a prize. And I looked at my wife, and I'm, after it was over, I'm like, did we just sell our house? We've been in this house for 16 years. What are we going to do now? You know what we're going to do now? What we're going to do? Next summer, we're moving to the Gulf Coast. Here's the thing, folks. Here's the thing. There comes a time in your life, and I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about you. It doesn't matter when it is. You have to ask yourself, enough is enough. The, 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 the enemy had won that battle for too long. It's time for him not to win the battle anymore. And so this was what David was faced with. He walks up on the battle scene. Everybody's looking at everybody. We need some leadership. Saul wasn't, certainly wasn't given any leadership. David says, who had already been anointed the next king, he tells him, he said, whoa, 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 what's this guy now? Who is this cat? What's it? What we going to do? Wait a second. And so here he finally steps out. And that's the problem I see with the church today. It's not that we need any great ability. We don't need any great ability. We have all the ability we need. We need people who are willing to step out and not play it safe anymore. We need people who are willing to say, God, I will do whatever you want me to do whenever you want me to do it. And that is a dangerous thing whenever people do that. Because you know what I found out? Whenever you do what God's called you to ask, or whenever you ask that question, God might just tell you what he wants you to do. And one of the reasons I think people don't ask that question very much is because if he tells them, they get scared. Because then you become responsible for what he tells you to do. Wow. You mean he wants me to do something? I promise you. You know, there was a time. Let me just read a couple verses here and then just kind of, we'll go from, from there. It says, now the Israelites had been saying, do you see this man keep uh, keeps coming out and he comes out in verse 25 it says, it says that he comes out to defy Israel the king will give him great wealth to the man who kills him he will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel David asked the men standing near what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes his uh, and removes uh, this disgrace from Israel who, who is this uncircumcised, uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God they repeat to him what, what they said, by, uh, what he had been saying, and told him this. This is what uh, will be done uh, for the man who uh, kills him. Listen to this. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here, and with whom did you leave uh, th those few sheep in the desert? I know uh, 
how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is, you come down here only to watch the battle. Now, isn't his brother, he shows up to the battle and his brother, of all people who should be saying, yeah, man, we got to take this guy out. We got to do something. His own brother's like, man, you little runt. You show up here. We've been in this battle all the time. And here you come showing up, sashaying through here like you doing something. And all you got all this knowledge. Now, look, I'm adding, this is the NIV, the Neil International Version, by the way. I'm throwing a few things in there. And so anyway, he's telling him, he's can I, can I tell you something? If you, ever, if you ever launch out and do anything for God, let me tell you what I figured out. Some of your worst critics, some of the people who will be, your, your biggest critics will be the people that you least expect to be your critic. It will be people that oftentimes are sitting right next to you in church. I have been there. I know. I have been in situations where people would say, yeah, let's do it, preacher. And then when it didn't work, they would say, I, I knew that wasn't going to work. But there comes a time when you have to do something. One of my favorite shows in all the world is Swamp People. But I asked myself one time, you know, who was the first person that ever looked out across the swamp and said, I think we need to catch an alligator. I mean, there had to have been somebody that decided one day, I'm going to reach out there and I'm going to grab an alligator. Now, I come from the bayous, okay? But I can tell you this much. I never in my mind ever or in my life ever had a desire as I was riding down the bayou in a little piro. I never said, you know what? I think I'm going to go over there and I'm going to grab an alligator. There had to have been a moment in somebody's life where they decided to, you know what, I'm going to do this. Now people make money off of that. My point is this. There's going to come a time when you're going to have to be willing to do something that nobody else is willing to do. Will you play it safe? I think that would be the first question that he would ask the modern day church. The second question I think that he would ask the modern day church is, what will your message be? What will be your message be? And David said, let's look at verse 34 right here. said, David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Uh, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a, a sheep uh, from his flock and went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth, and when it, came, when, it turned, uh, when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Now, first off, you've got to see something right here. David was not unqualified. We often like to make him think that, make people think he's unqualified. But David was not unqualified. David had already... Now, how many people here have ever killed a bear or a lion with your bare hands? No, I haven't. If I see a bear, I'm running. I'm that guy. And all I've got to do is outrun you. Because if I outrun you, he ain't getting me. One night I remember my wife, I was at a movie with one of my sons, and my wife called me and she said, uh, we got a bear in our garage. I said, for God's sake, don't open the door. You see, the greatest, here, here's the thing, this is, Here's the thing, 
David launches into this thing. He says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. Now here's the great message that we have today is that God can deliver people. See, because we miss that sometimes because we come to church and we've heard it all. We've heard every sermon and, you know, we just kind of sit there. We just, the pastor, like some of y'all looking at me today, you just kind of sit there, okay, I've heard that before. But the reality is this. The reality is God delivers people and he still delivers people. If we will let him deliver us, he will deliver us. That's the reality of what we live with. And I think probably more than anything that, that the church needs to be saying is that our message needs to be if you're lost, we have a Savior who can save you. If you're undone, if you've got an issue, if you're on drugs or you're on alcohol, whatever it might be, our God is greater than whatever you face. So the beauty of this message is that it's surrounded by this thing called grace. And I'm glad because you're looking at a guy who's needed an awful lot of grace. Our message is great, but we just need people to tell what our message is. I told you this would come into play. If you can't tell, I'm a snickeraholic. And I'm going to open it, and I'm going to show you something. Anybody like Snickers bars around here? Everybody, everybody's, I can't get them to say amen, but well, praise the Lord, brother. <laughs> can't get nobody to say amen, but you say, I've got a Snickers bar. Ah, hallelujah. Anyway, I love Snickers bars. And, 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 and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if, if there's an addiction that I have in my life, this is it. And I only bought one, by the way. I'm going to tell you something. Here's the reality. This thing has within it chocolate on the outside. It has caramel in it. Anybody like caramel? Mm-hmm. It has within it peanuts. You like peanuts? Anybody like peanuts? Mm-hmm. Within this, it also has something called nougat, which I don't know what that is, but it's good. It's, it's like God all in it. So that's, that's what a Snickers bar consists of. Now, as I was explaining to you what this Snickers bar has in it, most of you were like, yeah, that's what I like. But here's the thing. What we really need is people who are saying, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what he's done for me. This is the Jesus. I was a sinner. I was, I was addicted. I, was, I had this issue or that issue. And if, if, if we could ever get in our minds that we could be more passionate about telling people about Jesus. 
than a Snickers bar. What would we do in this world? I mean, as I was explaining this Snickers bar to you, you were excited. But can I tell you today, I, th I think what we need to be more excited about is what Jesus is doing in our hearts and what he has done for us. I don't know about you today, but I have an awful lot to be thankful for. God has brought me from a place where I thought that I would never, ever stand behind a pulpit again. But I want you to know God, and it's only Him, it's by His grace and His mercy that He has me here today. It is only what God has done in me, that I can, and only He can get the glory for that. I'm here today to say thank you, Jesus for what you have done. And I will stand up here every time I get a chance and tell you what Jesus has done in my life and how good he's been to me. And I hope today that you are the same way. It's his grace. What will your message be? You see, there's a message that we get broadcasted every day. It's on newspapers and internet pages and every minute of every day, everywhere. These messages often fill our lives with meaningless chatter and never produce anything of any eternal value. We're inundated with messages. They tell us to eat at this restaurant and buy at this car dealership and shop at this department store. All of this in hopes of convincing us that we can't survive without these advertised goods. However, the only real message the world can truly be offered is the deliverance that comes from the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He is the only one worthy, my friend, of sharing any message about. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what He has done for us, what will, what will your message be? Will your message be that you just are inviting them to a, a, a good church? Now, don't get me wrong. I think that's a noble thing. I think we ought to invite people to church. But if that's the only purpose that you have is to just invite people to church, you're missing it. The message that we have to be given to people is the fact that Jesus Christ can rescue them and save them from a life that has held them back and kept them back for years. Amen? Okay. Will, will, what will your message be? That's the second question I believe he would ask the modern day church. The third question is this, is where will you get your power? Where will you get your power? Excuse me, folks, I got peanuts in my mouth here. Where will you get your power? David understood that while he was prepared for the battle, he could not win without the power of God. I think it's important to note that David was, uh, uh, was not lacking in talent, for he already killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands. However, this is one fight he was uh, not talented enough to win. This Goliath of, the, Goliath of the Philistines was far superior than he was, uh, mo and was most, most definitely could just be destroyed, uh, could have destroyed David if they were fighting based upon physical and earthly abilities. But the great news is this, is that where there, the story gets interesting is because David trusted God's power and not his. He knew that if the battle was to be won, it wouldn't be won by him alone. 
What a great lesson for the church. How will we impact our culture? Will it be done by nicer facilities and better music and light shows and anything else that entertains uh, or, catches the, or catches the human eye? While those things have their place and there is no substitute, but there is no substitute for the power of God and His ability to deliver His people from sin. I want to tell you something. If we approach this culture in our own ability, in our own mindset, in our own strength, we will lose every single time. We are no match. But the good news is, the good news is, is that God gives us the power. God gives us the ability to defeat whatever comes in our life. And it's not by our own power, while you may be talented, and while you may have all these abilities, and while you may have this, this quality or this trait that, that makes you a little bit better than someone else, you are still no match for the culture that we live in. And you need God's power. Just as it says in verse 41 right here, Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, I, Am I a dog that you come with me, uh, come with me, come at with me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. Come here. And he said, And I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now this is what I love right here. This is my favorite part of the whole passage. And David said to the Philistines, to the Philistines, excuse me, he said, You come to me with a spear and a sword and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty God. Of the armies of Israel, and you, that, whom you have defiled, this day the Lord will hand you over to me. Now get this. David is not saying that after he killed the guy. He's saying that before he killed the guy. He knew what power he had within him. He knew who was going to deliver him. And this is what it says. This day the Lord will hand you over, uh, over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. See, here's the thing. Where will we get our power to defeat the culture that we live in? Where will we get our power to overcome whatever it is that, that holds us back? You can't do it on your own. The only one who can do it for you is God. Let me just give you a, a, a quick little illustration here. When I was a little boy, I lived in, I, I'm, I'll just go ahead and tell you, I grew up in a pretty poor little old area. We lived in a three-bedroom trailer with seven of us. And the interesting thing is my wife, when she first saw it when we got married, she said, that's really not a three-bedroom trailer. That's like a two-bedroom trailer, two and a half. But in our, our, in our little neighborhood, there was this one guy that was always a little, he was a bully. And he always went around, he bullied everybody. And he was bullying me one day. And I, you know, I was like, man, I'm tired of this, but I, he'll beat me up. 
And I remember one day I was looking at him straight and face to face, and I, and I, was, I was about to back down, and I looked at behind him, and he didn't know it, but my daddy was walking up. And he didn't know it, but then I got pretty bold then. Let me tell you something else, you know. Because I could see my daddy, and he couldn't see my daddy. And I got pretty bold then. So let me tell you something. Things are going to change around this neighborhood. And so we were squaring off, man. We was going at it, squaring off. And I think we had a little, few little battles. And all of a sudden, my dad reached in, and he just grabbed me by the back, and he grabbed him, and he just did this. He said, you boys are going to stop this. And both of us looked at him and said, that's right. But here's the thing that I know. In my own strength, I couldn't win. When my daddy showed up, I had what it took. Can I tell you that that's where the church is today? The church is, in our own strength, we cannot beat this culture out here. We cannot do it. They have more than we do. We cannot defeat them. But when our daddy shows up, we have whatever it takes to be more than successful to reach this culture. I know we're, we're getting long here, folks. Let me, let me finish up here. The last thing is this. The last thing I think that he would ask the current church is this. Who will get the glory? Who will get the glory? When the, when the enemy is defeated and whenever, whenever, whenever the enemy, uh, uh, whenever we defeat the culture and ever, whenever we're seeing success in church and whenever things are going right and, and, and God is moving and the Holy Spirit is doing a, an amazing thing, who gets the glory during all of that? Because let me tell you what I have discovered. I have discovered that in our culture today, we make, we make ministers rock stars now. And we make leaders, all these, 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 great, these great leaders, you know, we, that we put them on a pedestal. And don't get me wrong, I think there are people that we need to honor and respect. And there are people out there that we should, uh, that we should honor. But I want you to know today, there's only one who's truly worthy of all the honor and all the praise. And it is our Savior Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. And I think today that while we may uh, gain some measure of success in doing whatever we do in church, it is, it is important for us to remember that after we defeat whatever it is we defeat, whatever battle we've won, it's important for us to know that we have got to give God the praise that He's due, that he's due for what He's done in our lives. And I, I'll tell you, my friends, this is, this is where we, we are as a church, is that we've forgotten... That whatever success that we have, that success comes from our God. And this is the, the beautiful thing. Is that in verse, the end of verse 46, it says, Today I will give you to the carcasses of the, the, carcasses of the Philistine army, to the birds of the air, and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world, listen to this, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Isn't that wonderful? That David says, I'm going to take on this giant. And when I'm done, you know who's going to get the glory for it all? God. He's going to get the glory for what happens. He's going to get the glory for what takes place. I told you guys earlier that I, I grew up in church. And 
my mom and dad always told me, you know, you need to you, you need to tithe and you need to you know do that. And I can remember <clears throat> that uh, one Sunday I was sitting in I was sitting in church and I had a five dollar bill in my pocket. And I, and I thought to myself, you know, if you grew up where I grew up, five dollars is a lot of money. And I can remember sitting there, and the offering plate was coming by, and God was impressing on my heart. He said, Neil, I want you to give that $5. And man, I was like, man, I'm struggling, man. I ain't going to lie to you. I was struggling with that. Finally, I reached in my pocket, and I threw that $5 in there. I just said, okay, God, here you go. Sure, $5. So, and I also played football, and so that particular week, after I had given that $5, I was playing a, during, in the middle of a football game. The, the quarterback threw, and t- I caught a touchdown pass, and run it all the way for a touchdown, and and I can remember the first thing I thought about when I crossed the goal line was, you know what, I gave $5 in church this week. <laughs> I did, that's the first thing I thought about. And my mind immediately went to this. You know what, if I give $10 this week, <laughs> I'll get two touchdowns next week. And you know what, it suddenly became about me. It suddenly became not about Neil anymore. It was about God, I did this to get this. And if I do this again, you should be able to do this for me. And I was taking the glory off of God and putting it on myself. I'm afraid that's where the church is, is because we've taught people these days, if you just give enough money, then you're going to have good, good things happen to you. And I'm just here today to tell you, some of the most godly people I know in this world, they don't have a lot of money. They can't give a lot. But these people, they love God. And they give God everything that they can give Him. I'm here to ask you today, in the midst of whatever you have, whatever success is coming in your life, How do you deflect the glory of that to God? David said, I just want you to know today, even before I kill this giant, the world's going to know that there's a God in heaven. Let's all stand together. Our Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful. We're thankful, God, because even though we're in this culture that seems to be greater and much greater than we are, and they are greater than we are, but they're not greater than you are. With every head bowed and eye closed, I'd just like to ask, I'm going to continue this prayer just a moment, but if you... If you would like for me to pray for you today, maybe, maybe you're battling in your own heart. And it just seems like whatever you're battling is greater than you are. And you're not having any success. And you would like for me to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand for just a moment and then I'll, I'll pray for you. You don't have to hold it up long. Just lift it up. I see those. Yes. Yes. God, you, saw, you see those hands. You've seen them. And those are hands that represent 
battles that are going on. God, I just ask that for each and every person that you would give them the strength and that you would remind them, God, that you were there on the day that David brought a nine-foot-nine giant to the ground. And God, you can bring their giant to the ground. God, I just pray that you would help them. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you, God, for the opportunity that we've had to be here today. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would continue to move. And God, that we would look to you this week and that we would know that the battle is the Lord's and it's not ours. Bless these folks, God. I pray your Holy Spirit move upon them. And God, as they go to their homes and wherever they're going to go today, God, may they just be reminded that you're with them all the way. We'll give you praise, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, folks, for being here. You're dismissed.